the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Josh Pick is the Chief Investment Advisor with Aptus Wealth Management, a state-registered investment advisory firm. This program is sponsored by Aptus Wealth Management. Exposure to ideas and financial vehicles discussed should not be considered investment advice or recommendation to buy or sell financial vehicles. This information should not be considered tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult with professionals to see if any ideas expressed would fit their specific situation. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results. Securities can fluctuate and when redeemed may be more or less than when originally invested. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Every week, Josh will teach you ways to help manage, risk, and protect your retirement income in the new economy. The primary focus at Aptus Wealth is to provide flexible planning strategies that can efficiently achieve your long-term retirement goals. Welcome to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. You can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 6 p.m., that is, on 98.9 The Answer. The recording you can always find at aptuswealth.com. And to schedule an appointment to go through the Aptus Blueprint process with Josh, Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Now, Josh, let's get into the show. We have talked about how some have learned to create good habits and be better savers during COVID. But what are some ways the pandemic has changed the retirement landscape permanently for the worse? I think there's a couple of ways that you could look at this. But the first way, I'm going to hop off the finance train for a little bit um, and just say that it's not going to be the same. For many people, it's going to be worse forever. And that in and of itself is going to be very hard for people to over overcome. You know, certain people just handle bad things happening to them better than others. And for certain folks... I've learned that it's going to be very, very difficult for them to move on because it is not going to be the same. I think when we first started thinking about the pandemic or hearing of the pandemic, people said, oh, well, you know, when are things going to get back to normal? Well, they will get back to the way they were before, but that doesn't mean that the the year that we just arguably lost for some people in, in, in relation to their career is ever coming back. It's not coming back. And that's going to have some challenges associated with for some people. And and the hardest part is going to get being able to get over the fact that it it's not going to come back. I mean, it just is what it is. So some of those things that happened, you know, one, the pandemic hit a lot of older folks harder than younger folks. Not, you know, across the board, but in general, I would say uh, people who were near retirement, who maybe needed these last couple of years to save, to really get over the hump, to be able to retire. If they took a year away from those people of work, um, that was damaging and that time's not coming back for some people that will require that they work longer than they were planning on. Now, the good news is there's, there's a good part of this for a lot of people. They're now working remotely and I have heard a ton of times from clients that have come in saying, I'm going to work for a couple more years longer than I had planned on because I mean, there's not as much to do because travel has been limited and I'm working from home. So the dangerous commute and the water cooler talk and, you know, insert reason here as to what thing was driving them nuts about 
you know, office politics or dynamics of the office place, et cetera. That's large in part gone now. Now we're working remotely. So there's a lot of people that I'm hearing are saying, I'm willing to work a little bit longer. So hopefully that good will oversee the bad. But again, for, for many people that this was a big blow to their retirement, it was a big blow to their career. And for a lot of people, that's not coming back. So we have to say, well, good, uh, let's regroup and let's move on and we'll figure out where to take it from here. It might require reevaluating your plan, but it's not going to just go away. You got to do something about it on your own. And I think it's a good lesson for people when planning for retirement to be flexible because the market is cyclical and life is cyclical. So you have to, when, when you're planning with your advisor, to plan for the ups as well as the downs. I mean, if you look at what people faced when they were looking at retirement in 2000, 2001, 2002, that was awful too. And how about people who were looking at retirement in 2008 and 2009? That was awful too. And now I saw an article on CNBC a couple of weeks ago that said more money has gone into the stock market in the last five months than has gone into the stock market in the last 12 years combined. Really let that sink in. More money in the last five months than in the last 12 years combined. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that we've created a bubble, but what it does mean is perhaps there's some irrational exuberance and people hopping on the GameStop wagon and all these other different, you know, uh, flavor of the month. And that has caused huge inflows in the stock market, which does have the potential to create a bubble. Now, whether that creates a bubble or not, I think anybody who's been around long enough to see what happened in 2008, 2009, 2001, 2002, 1987, the list just keeps on going back. I mean, there's always times where the market's going to be negative. This one was coronavirus. I don't know what the next one will be. And sure, this coronavirus displaced some people from work, maybe affected your, your investments. There is always going to be something. And you need to build that all-weather approach, whether it's your retirement plan, your career, uh, how you handle objections and obstacles in general. Uh, I can only help with one piece of that, and that's the retirement plan. But we better have a plan in place that will continue to pay out over and over and over again, regardless of market conditions. And it just shows that if you go into retirement planning thinking that everything's going to be perfect, I'm, I mean, the whole message is to have that flexibility and prepare for the turbulence that can come, whether it be COVID or, or anything else we've experienced historically. Yeah, if you retire at 65, there is a very high probability that you will see a significant pullback of the market. And by significant, I mean 20, 30 percent three or four times in your remaining lifetime. I mean, it's not unfathomable to see that that could happen. It might be once, it might be twice, but I assure you that COVID will not be your last pullback or your last uh, bad time in the economic world that you see throughout the remainder of your retirement. So you better be prepared and you better have a plan to accommodate for that. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. The No Surprises Act, Josh, it recently passed. Let's talk more about that and its effect on people. Well, it's funny. We just got done talking about how you will constantly encounter surprises throughout the remainder of your retirement, and you've got to make sure that you have a plan for it. And here we are talking uh, just after that about the No Surprises Act, which con Congress passed uh, late last year, which essentially prohibits providers, uh, and these are medical providers, 
of charging patients out of network rates for emergency care, you know, ancillary services like anesthesiology, et cetera. And I think on the surface, this is a great thing. How it actually plays out is yet to be seen. But on the surface, hopefully, it's the start of more transparency in medical billing. And I don't know how you feel, Diane, but one of the things, you know, I had surgery a few years ago, and it was amazing as I'd go in through these procedures, I'd say, well, how much is this going to cost me? And they'd say things that were just crazy to me, like, well, it depends on uh, how they code it. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the procedure is the procedure, so what do you mean how they code it? Well, if they call it a 19-1, it could cost you ten grand. If they call it a 19-2, it might be fully covered. Well, that's a pretty wide range. Uh, I'd like to know kind of what that's all about. Well, you know, we haven't solved that problem yet, and I'm sure everybody that's listening can can think of an example of when that happened to them where they, they were just trying to figure out how much something was going to cost, and they were unable to be told the cost for that. Hopefully this is the beginning of that transparency uh, where they say this is exactly what it costs. And during the, the Trump administration, he was very adamant about setting forth that transparency and competitive uh, type situation in the bargaining arena of how do we get the cost of our health care down and how do you know exactly what it's going to cost you? Well, that's essentially what this is, is saying you cannot be charged out of network rates for emergency services. In other words, you know, you got in an ambulance, it took you to one hospital, which was out of your network as opposed to another hospital. You didn't have the ability to control that. And now you pay 10 times more than it should have cost you if you went to hospital A versus hospital B. Hopefully that is the beginning of or the continuance of what was already started uh, in the last four years. And now during the Biden administration, hopefully that continues and we're able to know how much things are going to cost us. Here's an interesting stat. About half of all inpatient admissions in 2016 were considered out of network. That's basically doubled since 2010. So if you think about that and if you look at your health insurance, how much out-of-network versus in-network covers, the amount of people who are paying that increased cost has doubled over the last, you know, five or ten years. So it's something we need to get a handle on, and hopefully it lowers uh, premiums for everybody, or costs, rather, for everybody across the board. The health care paperwork is ridiculous, too. You're getting uh, mailings upon mailings trying to break it down, and it's confusing, and you don't understand it, and it doesn't feel like you can fight your insurance either. Well, and it seems like a, a very antiquated way of handling things. You know, for example, and, and I hate to keep on using my own my own scenarios here, but several years ago I needed an MRI, and I called one of the local uh, MRI companies um, and said, you know, how much I need an MRI, how much is the MRI going to cost? And the first question they asked me was, are you going to pay for it with insurance or without? I said, well, I have insurance. I guess I should use the insurance. And they said, well, no problem. We can get you in in about three weeks, and it'll cost you – uh, about two thousand dollars. Well, my my annual deductible is two thousand dollars, so it's going to cost me two thousand dollars. So if you don't pay with insurance, then it's three hundred bucks, and we can get you in this week. Yeah, because the the care the providers themselves don't want to deal with the insurance companies either, because they know they're not going to get paid for a long time. They're going to have to go back and forth. They have to have administrators on staff to do it. If we could just have that antiquated system streamlined, it would be good for everybody, and hopefully. This is a, a step in the right direction. When we're looking at retirement planning in terms of health care, let's go through some of the costs of long-term care because that's a shocking number to people uh, when they hear that. So just to reiterate the importance of having long-term health care insurance. 
Well, first, let's talk about regular health care. And, and the good news is regular health care is pretty darn good. It used to be that Medicare was looked at as kind of the redheaded stepchild of the healthcare uh, world. But now that other health care programs are where they are today, which aren't as great, regular Medicare and a supplement looks pretty darn good. But that does not cover at least any substantial degree long-term care. And right now, everybody walking around has a long-term care plan in place. And that plan is, I'm going to spend all my money until I run out of money. And then hopefully, the way it exists today, which is Medicaid picks up the tab, uh, hopefully Medicaid is approved at the provider that I'm at. I don't get kicked out of the place that I'm at. So that would be a horrible thing. Not only are you in a position where you have to have long-term care, but now you're out of money. And the facility that you have become accustomed to at the later stages of your life does not take Medicaid. And you get booted out and you got to go somewhere else. Uh, so that can be a very traumatic experience for people in that position. But there are other methods. And the cost is what you asked me about. It is not unusual to see costs for long-term care facilities exceeding seven or $8,000 a month. And we have about a 50-50 shot, all of us, everybody listening, we have about a 50-50 shot of landing in a long-term care facility for some period of time in our lifetime. So if you can think about the financial strain, particularly in a husband-wife scenario, where one partner goes into a long-term care facility, what financial strain it would be on you if you were paying $100,000 a year for your significant other to be in a long-term care facility, potentially for two months or potentially for 10 years. It can have a very, very significant toll. Now, that does not mean, Diane, that you have to go buy a giant long-term care policy. What it does mean is you have to have a plan and you have to use the tools that are available to you uh, to put yourself in the best position to handle that, either via long-term care insurance or via trust or via uh, the manipulation of your assets to put you in a better position to be able to handle that. But you, you, there are some levers you can pull, and the sooner you pull them, the less expensive it will be for you and the more advantageous spot you'll be in when you get there. You're listening to the Aptus Blueprint radio show with Josh Pick. Josh's number is 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. And you can always find the recording at aptuswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Peck. To schedule your own planning session to learn new strategies to manage risk, if you have questions about the program, you can give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. 
Josh, most people are excited about retirement, but what are what are some of the things that your clients are most surprised when they retire, um, some of the challenges that they face that they weren't expecting? Well, I think there's a lot of people out in the world that give pretty decent advice on what investments to purchase to increase your net worth. In other words, buy a stock, that stock goes up in value, now you have more money, that's good. But what becomes a shock to them once they reach the point of uh, disbursement of those funds. So we go from the accumulation phase to the income phase of our portfolio or our retirement plan is the impact of taxes, the impact that inflation can have, the impact that volatility can have. You know, I mean, when volatility is going gangbusters, you know, you're bouncing around, your stocks are going up and down. Um, sure, it has an emotional impact on your life while you're, nobody likes seeing their, their portfolio go from a million to 700,000 up to a million one. That's, that's not a comfortable feeling. But they don't realize how big or significant of an impact that can have once they start withdrawing money from those accounts. We call it dollar cost averaging on the way up. And dollar cost averaging is putting in money systematically over time, sometimes getting a higher share price, sometimes getting a lower share price. But over the long run, it's been proven that dollar cost averaging is actually a good thing. Well, I had a client talk to me after I showed him some stuff, and he said, well, it sounds like when you go in reverse and you start taking money out, they might as well call it dollar cost ravaging because if the returns don't go in the right favor, I could run out of money or I could be rich, and it all depends on where I am in this cycle in the market. And if you look at where we are today, and we were talking earlier today about, you know, there will be more times in the future where the market pulls back during your retirement years. There there will be, unless somehow we bucked the trend of history, uh, and history might not always repeat itself, but always looks related, we will probably encounter several more economic downturns during your retirement years. And the impact of those can be catastrophic once you start taking money out of your accounts. So that's number one. Number two, taxes and how we can actually manage your accounts or where we pull money from to minimize the burden of your taxes is huge and so many times overlooked. And then the prospect of how do I make sure I do this so I don't outlive my money based upon how long I live and the impact of inflation over time. So how do I handle for inflation and how do I make sure I don't live my money? And all of these things, in my opinion, point towards something that's changed over the years that I know I talk about a lot, but it's worth mentioning again. And that is your net worth essentially becomes meaningless when you retire. I don't know when this happened where we quit talking about the amount of retirement income you have and we started shifting to your net worth, but nobody lives off their net worth per se. And I know people that are listening right now are saying, yeah, but my, the more money I have, the better. And agreed. I understand. However, if you have $5 million and no way to accommodate for inflation, rising tax rates, volatility in the market, and you require a significant chunk of money every single year off of that $5 million, the fact that you have $5 million doesn't mean a darn thing. I remember back in the day, Diane, when I was young, everybody said, well, you know, go get a job at this place because it has a good pension. And I know there's been a lot of issues with pensions over the years, and I'm not saying that people with a pension are, uh, you know, always uh, in the most fail-safe spot. But 
if you had a choice of I would like to make sure that my needs are met and I can live the way that I want to live for the rest of my life, adjusted for inflation, never run out of money, et cetera, most people would say that's the ideal. Matter of fact, that's what I'm trying to accomplish with the amount of money that I have saved. But for some reason, the focus has become net worth, net worth. If you look online, it says, by the time you retire, you better have X net worth to be able to retire. And all of that information has really been put out by people who make money off of managing your money. And the higher the net worth, the more they make off of managing your money. And I'm not saying there is no relevance to the amount of net worth you have, once again. But the name of the game is how do I turn that into a predictable income stream? And that does not mean putting all your money in annuities, if that's what you're thinking. But you have to figure out a way to ladder your risk. You have to figure out a way to create a predictable income stream. You have to have a plan to accommodate for uh, the erratic nature of the stock market to limit volatility. And you have to take into account inflation and taxes. And most quote financial plans are really just investment portfolios. And the back side of those investment portfolios is, oh, by the way, if you want any money out of this, make sure you don't take more than 4% and you'll probably be fine. That's not a plan. That's a hope. And hope can be shattered in the long run. So make sure that you have a developed plan that, plans, that uh, provides the income that you need in the most efficient way possible. How many advisors out there have that hope or that's what their main service is? I think there's not too many, to answer your question. I think there's a lot of people who provide investment advice, a lot. I don't know what the stat would be, but I, I can't imagine it's, you know, uh, less than 90% are providing investment advice. There are certain people who are what I would call financial planners that are really designing a financial plan around the products that they represent. Then there are fee-based financial planners who literally just do financial planning for a fee and don't even manage the money. There are very few of us, I, can, I would assume, that blend all of those things together. Meaning, uh, here's the financial plan, here's the advice in relation to how can we minimize taxes, how do we make sure we don't outlive our money, and then these are investments that coincide with those objectives. Now, I, I'm shooting from the hip here, Diane. I don't have the slightest idea what the percentages are. The only uh, anecdotal evidence that I have is the amount of folks that come into my office, and I look at what they've been working with up to this point, and for the most part, it isn't that. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm Diane Brennan. To schedule your own planning session and to learn new strategies to manage risk, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. I saw an article on CNBC, Josh, that said private equity is buying up annuity and life insurance policies. What does that mean for people? What does that mean for retirees? Yeah, there's been a huge transition. I can think of a handful of companies off the top of my head that have been purchased by private equity. So obviously there's pros and cons to everything. There are some huge benefits to companies being brought, bought out by private equity, but there are also a lot of detriments. So let's cover one really good thing. I often say that people who invest in insur insurance companies don't lose money. And the reason they don't lose money is for a lot of reasons, but one of them is because when an insurance company gets in trouble, it's a great asset for a private equity firm to buy. And if you think about it, they can buy these assets for pennies on the dollar from an insurance company because that insurance company is not in a strong position, but they still have to honor the contracts that were issued by the previous insurance company. So very, very rarely, uh, never that I'm aware of, has somebody invested in an insurance company and lost money. 
So safety via private equity, amongst other things, is a, is a good positive takeaway. And the bad thing, though, is private equity is a for-profit entity looking to typically, if we think about private equity, take a company, purchase it, make it look better on paper over a short period of time, and then turn around and sell it to another suitor. So if you think about what they're going to do to the company, typically they're going to try and get economies of scale as quick as possible. So if that insurance company has its own infrastructure, its own people, if they can blend that with another insurance carrier and use you know, people for multiple companies, that's great. Well, what does that typically lead to? Typically, and these are very general things, not as great a service, and a lot of people lose their jobs, which isn't a great thing. What else are they going to do? Well, they're going to try and make those annuity policies as profitable as possible. So if your interest rate was 4% on your annuity contract and the contractual minimum, which they can reset every single year, is only 2 there's a good chance you're going to lower your interest rate on your annuity policy down to 2 on your next anniversary, which is not good for you. So there are certainly a wide array of things that could go bad, but there are also some things that could go good. One of those being purchased, but let's just say in general, um, you're with an insurance company that's not having the best run. They went from an A-rated company to a B, but they're bought by a private equity company that infuses cash back into that company and takes them back up to an A. Is your money safer? Of course. Are you potentially getting less rates of return? Yes. So it's very important, uh, without diving you know, too deep into this, it's very important that you pick companies that all of the benefits of your policies and contracts are contractual. Just, I mean, I say of your contract are contractual. It seems obvious. But there's a lot of ins things that insurance companies do that are not contractual that they just say that this is our current company policy. For example, um, you know, your, your annuity policy is deferred. You have access to 10% per year without any penalty. But our current company policy is you can take out up to 50% without penalty if you didn't take the 10% for a number of years. They kind of compound and add up. That's our current company policy. That is not contractual. So if that company sells, if you bought that policy based upon that ancillary benefit, it might not be there anymore uh, because it was just current company policy. So it's important in today's world that you get everything that you want contractually and not current company policy. It's also very important, if you want to avoid all of this together, to get with companies that have a very, very long-term track record, that are committed to the industry, that already have very strong, uh, deep pockets and financial backing from either a parent company or they've just been around so long they are the parent company. It's important to look at the contractual minimums of your policy just in case. I guess the takeaway here, Diane, before I just keep on going down the, you know, the minutia of all the little idiosyncrasies of every contract is make sure you either are an expert or you are working with somebody who is an expert in the way of annuities and insurance to help guide you through the process of understanding all the positives and negatives, and then furthermore, the, the gotchas that could happen in the event that your company is ever sold so that there are no surprises or unexpected uh, uh, arisings down the line while you're still trapped in a potential surrender charge period of the contract that you're in. And, you know, I've been dealing with insurance companies since 1998, so pretty well versed in the way that insurance companies do business, all the idiosyncrasies of annuities, life insurance, long-term care, et cetera. Uh, and I can help you on that journey. 
And if you have questions, let me give you Josh's number. It is 614-364-7300. That is 614-364-7300. The website is aptuswealth.com. And you can join Josh every Monday for Money Mondays with Bruce Hooley at 6 p.m. for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. More of the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick when we come back. We'll be back with more at the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick at 98.9 The Answer. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptus Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptus Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptus Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptuswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, before the break, we were talking about life insurance policies, and I wanted to ask you, a financial advisor, um, because it's complicated, so we need help. We need an expert. How is the financial advisor paid on these uh, life insurance policies or annuities? And how do we know that they're not motivated by their compensation? There's only one way to know, and that is work with a fiduciary. And the reason for that is a fiduciary, by definition, has to disclose to you how much they're being compensated on annuity and or life insurance policies. Now, why is that important? Because if that particular fiduciary is making 1% a year, let's say, just for easy math, on your uh funds or stock uh, market investments that he's managing, but then all of a sudden he's recommending an annuity. And that particular annuity pays a 9% upfront commission. Well, wait a second. Is he he trying to just make 9% upfront or is he trying to do what's best for me? Um, So it's very important that we disclose what we make. Now, the uh, other thing about all annuity contracts is there are different commission options available to that particular financial advisor, fiduciary, broker, um, whomever you're working with. And you can see which one they select. The A share is 100% upfront commission. The B share is a little bit upfront, a little bit of a trail. And then the C share is 100% trail, which works very similarly to that of any fiduciary. So you can see what they choose and you can ask the question, why did you choose that? Uh, But this is a conversation, Diane, in my office, I have with everybody Uh, that we ever do an annuity contract with so they understand why I'm recommending what I'm recommending, why in this particular instance an annuity would be better than funds that we have. And and bear in mind, not every client I have has an annuity. Um, Some clients that I have have some annuities and some, uh, obviously, equities. So it's not right for everybody, but at least it's good to know why the person is recommending what they're recommending. And not all commissions are even across the board across different companies. So we can talk about that as well. But shy of asking those questions, you don't know. Is it good for them or is it good for me? Is it better for them than it is for me? And are there better products out there uh, than the one that perhaps that particular individual is recommending? Uh, In my office, we'll cover all of those things, but most people do not. We can't go to a website and find out if a person is a fiduciary. It's just a matter of asking the advisor, are you a fiduciary? 
you actually can go to a website. Um, you can go to FINRA's website and find out how that particular fiduciary is licensed and regulated. Are they a broker or are they a fiduciary? Um, you can also go to the SEC's website, and I recommend that everybody does that because that site will not only tell you how they're licensed and how they operate, but it'll also show any complaints that they have had, the history of how long they've been in the business, et cetera. So it's a great site to go take a look at. And anytime I meet with a client, I tell them everything that I'm saying to you, and I, can, I will even you know, send them a link so that they can look me up or look up whoever they're currently working with. It's a very open book. Everything's about transparency in the fiduciary side, so nothing to hide here. Show everybody what they're getting into and, and making sure that they don't end up in a, in a situation that doesn't fit what they're trying to accomplish. And if there is a complaint, are you advising just don't go to anyone who has complaints or is this kind of like I'm an agent, if someone goes to Zillow, they could just give me a one star for absolutely no reason? Is, is it a matter of researching the, the complaint and, and proceeding from there? That's a great question. You're right. If you're, a, let's say, a real estate agent and somebody can just go out in the ether on the web, on the internet and say, you know, Diane's awful and there's no checks and balances there. Yeah. And that's very unfortunate. However, uh, when it comes to the, the regulatory policies of FINRA and the SEC, you absolutely will get investigated when you make a complaint. So if you make a complaint against me, a regulator will follow up on that complaint. There will be potentially, you know, listen, if I go steal a bunch of money off of a client, rest assured, you make a complaint, the regulators follow up on that, and it goes to court. I mean, it's, it's as simple as that. And then the findings of that trial and or investigation are posted online. So it's very possible that you find somebody that has a complaint, but then after the complaint, it says no basis for the complaint was found, case closed. That doesn't necessarily mean that the client, that that particular advisor did anything wrong. They just had somebody go file a complaint. Now, spoiler alert, I've never had a complaint, so uh, there's not a lot to look up uh, out there. But uh, in the future, you never know what the future holds, and, and perhaps you know I could be in that position. So I don't want to fault anybody that's been in the situation of having a complaint, but it's important that it will be investigated to either prove right or wrong. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. I'm switching gears here. Should we pay off our mortgage before retirement? Well, that's a very, very popular question. So the reason that I'm not going to answer it as easy as yes or no is because it literally does depend, but there's a lot of common misconceptions out there. And one that I hear is that, well, why pay it off? It's a write-off. And that may or may not be true. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't understand how, quote, write-offs really work. So everybody in the United States has, you know, you get some income and then you, you, uh, you have what's called a standard deduction or itemized deductions. And the standard deduction as it exists today for a married couple, about $24,000. The way that you can get an itemized deduction, which is where your mortgage interest falls, is if all of your itemized deductions exceed $24,000. Now, during the Trump administration, they regulated or they limited the amount of state and real estate taxes and local taxes that you get credit for to $10,000. So if you think about it, your mortgage interest and your charitable contributions have to exceed $14,000 before you start to receive a benefit from them. Meaning, for most people, who are retired or nearing retirement, who have pretty small balances remaining on their mortgage, or at least the people who have small enough balances that they're considering paying their mortgage off, probably are not benefiting in the way of a tax deduction for their mortgage. I mean, think about it. Interest rates are, I just had a client in here today that's doing a 15-year interest rate or 15-year mortgage at 2.5%. I mean, 
how much of a mortgage do you need to have at two and a half percent? That means you're only paying $2,500 a year in interest for every 100000 that you owe. So you have to have $400,000 in, in a mortgage balance just to get to ten grand. you are still not there. So one is, you know, that mortgage tax deduction is not there. Two, um, the amount of money that you have to withdraw potentially from a qualified plan that you otherwise would not have to withdraw from a qualified plan is taxable when you take it out to pay your mortgage. So let me give you an example. If your mortgage and interest payment or principal and interest payment via your mortgage is 1000 bucks a month, you have to take $1,000 a month, potentially, depending upon your scenario, out of an IRA account. Well, if you're in the 22% bracket, that means that it's costing you 22% of that amount of money that you're taking out to pay the $1,000. Now, if you did not have a principal and interest payment of 1000 bucks, then you wouldn't have to take that out. People go, ah, but interest is only 2.5%. True. But if you have to take out 1300 bucks to be able to pay that $1,000, the two and a half percent interest really doesn't matter. It's the, you know, two three hundred dollars in taxes you have to pay for every thousand dollars you take out. That's a big problem. So, the takeaway here is without getting too long winded and talking about all the different examples that you could have, is that one I've never met anybody who paid off their mortgage that felt bad about it. In other words, I'm all on board for paying off your mortgage and being debt free. I think that is a very liberating feeling. It makes uh, the uh, debt service ratio that you have and the amount of money that you have to withdraw from your accounts much more favorable makes life a lot simpler that's great but we don't want to do it at the detriment of paying a tremendous amount of taxes for example i use 22 percent. what if you're in the 12 percent bracket but in order to pay off your mortgage you have to pull money out in the 22 or maybe even 24 percent bracket to do so well would you rather keep on plugging away paying two and a half percent interest and 12 percent in taxes or just get blasted with 22 right out of the gate that might not make financial sense. Ultimately, the answer is up to you what feels better to you and what would make your life more uh, enjoyable in the long run. My job is to provide you the answer as to whether or not it makes financial sense for you to pay off your mortgage. And rest assured, if that's what you want to do, we're going to get you there as quick as we possibly can, just not at the detriment of paying unreasonable amounts of taxes in the meantime. And that's one of the things that you find out when, when people go through the Aptus Blueprint process with you before they decide to work with you. Of course. You know, that first meeting, we're finding out all your goals, objectives, what would make you happier in retirement, what would make you feel more comfortable or secure, things that maybe even the crazy ideas, you know, I'd like to open this new business or I'd like to do whatever. This is my passion project in retirement. I want to find out all those things. And then I want to find out what resources you have to get there. And then, you know, as we go through the process, we'll slowly chip away at what makes sense for each one of those types of objectives. And what are the other steps that people go through? The next step is our analysis step. So what we do in the analysis is we take all the information that you provided us. What do you want to accomplish? What do you have to get there? How much are you currently still saving to get there? What's your time frame? And then we say, if you keep on the same trajectory, meaning these are the investments that you're in, this is how much you're saving, this is how much you're going to need. This is the tax bracket that you'll be in, et cetera, et cetera. And here's when we stress test it. This is what your trajectory looks like. What is the likelihood of your arrow hitting the target and what things could get in the way of you getting there? And how much risk are you assuming to get there? And God forbid things change. Does the arrow still hit a reasonable point on that target? And then through that process, sometimes we find some shortfalls. How can we improve upon it? We address all of those things in the third meeting. We call it the blueprint. 
The blueprint will provide you an actionable plan of things you can actually do immediately and in the future to increase your likelihood of that arrow not falling off the target somewhere or not getting you know, within those first couple of rings. We want to make sure that no matter what happens, market corrects, interest rates change, taxes change, Social Security gets pulled away or drops, cost of medical insurance goes up dramatically. We want to make sure that we still live a very comfortable and secure life. And then not until meeting four, which is our implementation phase, do we decide, is this a mutually beneficial relationship for both of us? And it's something we want to move forward on and work together for a long time. To schedule an appointment to go through the Aptis Blueprint process, Josh's phone number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. And you can join Josh as he talks retirement with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. on 98.9 The Answer. You can also find that recording at aptiswealth.com. More with Josh Pick when we come back. To create a successful retirement plan in today's economy, it takes a customized, solutions-based approach. At Aptis Wealth Management, founder Josh Pick calls it the Aptis Blueprint, and it's focused on managing risk instead of chasing returns. If you're working with another advisor or simply want a second opinion, put his team to work for you. To schedule a complimentary consultation to learn more about the Aptis Blueprint process, contact Josh at 614-364-7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. There is no cost or obligation, but space is limited. To start your plan, call 614-364-7300. 7300 or visit aptiswealth.com. Thanks for listening to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with Josh Pick. To schedule your complimentary customized planning session, give Josh a call at 614-364-7300. Welcome back to the Aptis Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, how are things changing in terms of how inheritance is passed down from one generation to, to the next over time? Well, a lot of things have changed, uh, particularly in the last uh, year or so. And it's important to note how money is passed from one generation to the next, and then I'll talk about what changes. So when you pass away, certain things aren't taxed and certain things are, and how they're taxed are taxed in a different capacity. For example, if you have money in a checking account, and that money is just sitting in a checking account, it's already been, the taxes have already been paid on that income, et cetera, when you pass away, that money just goes to whoever your beneficiaries are, essentially, with very few exceptions. If you have stocks and you bought those stocks for $10 a share and they grew to $20 a share, those stocks get something called a step-up in basis. And that step-up in basis means that if you died on January 1 and the, the stock price was $20, you paid $10 for the stocks, but now it's $20. And it's $20 on February 1st when your beneficiaries go to sell. They have no capital gains taxes on that because of that, quote, step up in basis. Your basis was 10. It got stepped up when you died. And the new basis for your beneficiaries is 20. So that's another way you can pay taxes, potentially, because that step up in basis went to 20. They go to sell it three weeks later, and now it's 23. They have to pay taxes on the difference between 20 and 23, and they would pay that at a capital gains rate. The next way that people can pay taxes is income taxes. And income taxes apply to uh, qualified plans. So think all the alphabet soup, 401k, 403b, IRA with the exception of Roth IRA, uh, all that stuff. You have not paid any taxes on that money during your lifetime. You put that money in pre-tax, it grew tax deferred. You might have lived off of some of it, but whatever is remaining still has yet to be taxed. All the money that's taken out of those when you pass away 
is taxed at ordinary income rates to the beneficiary that you're giving them to. Now, it used to be that you could, your beneficiaries could stretch those distributions over their lifetime, meaning, let's say you had a million dollars, and you leave it to your 40-year-old daughter, and your daughter says, great, I have this extra million dollars, but I'm still very much working. I don't want all the money. If I take that million dollars this year, it's certainly going to put me into the top tax bracket, and I'm going to lose potentially you know, 40% of that money to taxes. So I would like to take just a little bit per year over my life or at least for the next 20 or 25 years until I reach retirement, and then I can always lift it up. That used to be called stretch IRA distributions, and you could take a percentage out, and it was a very small percentage. Think 2 3% per year, obviously minimizing taxes over the long run, maximizing the value of that asset to you in retirement. That changed last year. Now you have 10 years to completely liquidate those IRA assets, period, the end. So I don't care if you're 20 years old, the money's got to be out of there by the time you're 30. That could force a pretty significant tax burden for some people and force people to take money out that they didn't want to take out. And now, as that money is reinvested, they're paying taxes every year on the money potentially moving forward. So that wasn't really a, a huge benefit. And the logic there is the IRS hasn't received any money on that. They want their money. They want it sooner rather than later, so force it. The other thing that could be changed is that step-up in basis, which we talked about. Biden ran on a campaign of eliminating the step-up in basis. So that would mean in that stock scenario that there is no step-up in basis. So if you bought a stock for 10 bucks and now it's worth $200 because you've had it your entire life, and then you pass away, your kids or whoever your beneficiaries are would have to pay taxes on $190 a share. Now the problem with that is they're probably going to have to sell a lot of shares to do so. So, you know, there's... There's some issues there, and there's also some potential unintended consequences. So there's a little bit of the baby being thrown out with the bathwater here in that things like farms could be affected. We don't know exactly how it's going to be taken into play, but if you had a family farm and the farm was purchased for $100,000 and now it's worth $2 million, if there's no step up in basis, it is conceivable to think that your beneficiaries would owe taxes on $1.9 million, which is the gain. Well, how are they going to pay for that tax bill? Because the taxes on a couple million bucks, you know, you're talking seven, eight hundred thousand bucks for the typical farmer is or farmer's child is probably not achievable. So that would mean that potentially they would have to sell the farm. This is a big consequence. On top of that, without diving into every single one, so there's income taxes, capital gains, uh, step up in basis is uh, being told that it's going to be eliminated. Uh, you have shorter amounts of time to take your income taxes. Uh, on qualified accounts. The other one is the ever eternal sunsetting law of the estate tax. The estate tax is an additional tax beyond what I just mentioned for people who have large estates. And that current level as of 2021 is just shy of $12 million. So if you have a net worth of north of 11.7 million bucks, you could be also assessed an additional estate tax rate. And that estate tax rate goes all the way up to 40%. So you start doing this math and you go, so I get, I had 20 million bucks, I get hit with 40%, then I get hit with income tax, then I get hit with, you can see how these estates start to get dwindled. However, you go 12 million bucks, quit crying, that's a pretty big number. Biden has run on the, not elimination, but repealing uh, or lowering the estate tax where it is today down to the basically back when it was about in 2009, I believe. 
which was about three and a half million bucks, which and also lifting that top rate to 45 percent. So what are we faced with? This is a lot of numbers, a lot of data, a lot of things that are changing. We are now looking at an economy and a situation where when you pass away and you leave money to your beneficiaries, they will have to take the money quicker. It will be more tax disadvantageous. It'll be a lot more costly. And there's a potential that people that you wouldn't think would be affected by the estate tax will now, in fact, be affected by the estate tax. And that's not to say that I believe that people worth $3.5 million aren't wealthy. But typically, when you hear politicians talking about we need to get rid of these ultra-elite wealthy people by eliminating this, they use examples of somebody worth a billion dollars. Well, I think it's a pretty far cry to say somebody worth three and a half million and a billion are, are pretty far apart. But oftentimes we use the red herring of let's use this billionaire and show all of his opulent spending and why he needs to be uh, you know, checked so he doesn't have this uh, dynasty level wealth where the rest of his uh, you know, the rest of his family never has to work again and they live so wealthy while other people struggle. When in reality, this is affecting people on a much, much lower scale than that. So a lot has changed. More planning needs to be done. Are there ways to plan for this? Are there ways to, I don't want to say get around it, but are there ways to invest in particular asset classes that avoid this to a large degree? Yes. Sooner the better. Get to the plan. Uh, start writing it down sooner rather than later, start implementing that plan and you can make a more impactful difference. That's all time buys you is the opportunity to make a more significantly impactful difference. But no matter when, the best time to start is today. We can make impactful changes. You just got to take that first step and we'll get you going. You're listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Josh, for those of us that don't make uh, $20 million or have $20 million in our retirement account, uh, for those listeners that make an average salary, how could we turn a $50,000 salary into a million-dollar retirement fund? Well, it, it's easy math. I mean, make, it, be, it's a matter be, of... Become uh, friends with know, the people not... who have the $20 million? <laughs> That's an approach, but I, I think that falls back into the category of hoping rather than planning. No, I mean, there is simple math to figure this out. You know, essentially, to get to the million-dollar mark, you can just backstep into how much time do I have, how much do I have to put away, and it's really not that complicated. If you, if you make $50,000 a year and you save 15% of your income, which is you know, less than $10,000 a year, over time investing it appropriately and you'll be a millionaire. But is a million your number? I know that you know, we, we've had these, these magic numbers out there for a long time, and, and the media likes to purport them a lot. You, know, you will need at least X dollar amount to retire by the time you're 60 years old. I don't know where the heck they're getting these numbers. Because how do they possibly know who you are? You've never talked to them. And even though you, they don't know who you are, they're throwing out this number that apparently is your specific magic number. And if you don't reach it, then you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. The real answer here, Diane, is you got to know your number. Do you really need a million dollars to, in fact, retire? There are other things that are going to impact your retirement as well, like Social Security. If you believe that Social Security will be an income stream that you can count on retirement. I know everybody has very uh, definite uh, opinions of this, and we've covered Social Security a lot in the past. While I think Social Security may change, I think the fact that people think it will be gone is probably not accurate. So you can count on it to some degree. But that will have an impact on how much money you need. Taxes will have an impact on how much money you need. Whether or not you can reach that million dollars will be largely dependent upon how you live your life. 
if in fact you do need the million dollars, which we don't know the answer to, if you're living on 55000 and making 50000 well, then how in the heck are you going to save the amount of money to get to the million? You're not. So you either got to make more money or start living differently. And then how much time do you have? If you're 20 years old right now making $50,000 a year, you have to save far less than somebody who is 60 years old and hasn't started saving yet to get to a million dollars a year off of 50000 Matter of fact, at that point, um, unless you uh, hit it rich at the track, you have a tough mountain to climb. So the, the real answer here is not can you turn 50000 into a million dollars because you can. It's how are you going to do it and is that the right number for you? And are you taking advantage of some of the other things that are available to you? For example, are you getting the full match out of your 401k? If you're not, you should be. Is it the best tax-advantaged way to save? Maybe for you, maybe not. But getting a 100% rate of return via a match from your employer is a heck of a lot easier than going out and trying to get it out of the market. So make sure you're not missing the, quote, free money. If you are behind or, you know, you're a little back on the eight ball, is there a way that you can supplement your income via a, you know, the new thing is, uh, my sons always say, you know, the new, the new Instagram thing is a side hustle or a side gig. You know, is there some kind of side gig job that you could get that would help you get there quicker? Um, make sure you choose investments that grow. These are all important things. You know, don't, don't, uh, don't invest in uh, cash every single day of every single year because you're simply not going to have a very adequate chance of getting to millionaire status by putting your money in stuff that doesn't work for you. And then be consistent, be consistent, be consistent. When you get windfalls, add to it. So if you get a big tax return you weren't planning on, I'm not saying you have to save 100% of it, but save a significant amount of it. If somebody unfortunately passes away in your family and you get an inheritance, don't go buy the new shiny car. Put that towards it, or at least a significant chunk of it. So it's, you know, it's all the hold up. It's like the rinse and repeat type strategies here. Make sure you're taking advantage of things that you can. Be consistent. Do the right things. When you get windfalls, make sure you invest it. Um, and be disciplined to stay within your budget so that you actually have money to invest. And if you want to get there faster, increase the faucet that's pumping money into it. And you can do that via uh, living more modestly or getting another side gig or promoting yourself through education to get to the next level of your career. But ultimately, it doesn't matter if you start, if you get to a million, if a million isn't your number. If you need two million, a million's only halfway there, and that's all individual. So try and ignore the static in the media that says, you have to retire a millionaire. That might not be the right number for you. To schedule an appointment with Josh, his phone number is 614-364-7300. 614-364-7300. And besides the weekend, you can hear Josh with Bruce Hooley every Monday at 6 p.m. for Money Mondays on 98.9 The Answer. This is the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Show with Josh Pick. Thanks so much for joining us. Have a great weekend, everyone. You've been listening to the Aptus Retirement Blueprint Radio Show with host Josh Pick. Josh helps guide his clients through retirement by managing risk instead of chasing returns. He calls it a blueprint, and you can get started at no cost or obligation. Give the team at Aptus Wealth a call today to schedule your consultation at 614-364-7300. That's 614-364-7300 or online at aptuswealth.com. That's A-P-T-U-S wealth.com. To learn strategies to manage risk in the new economy, join us again next weekend right here at 98.9 The Answer.
Any comments regarding safe and secure investments and guaranteed income streams refer only to fixed insurance products. They do not refer in any way to securities or investment advisory products. Fixed insurance and annuity product guarantees are subject to the claims paying ability of the issuing company. 